Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. Recall that after these tragedies have befallen Eov, after his children are deceased, he loses all of his possessions, and not only that, he's covered with boils. Once all that has happened, his friends come to him from afar, whether because they have a magic crown that alerts them when one of the others is in need, or whether it's because they have a tree that wilts when one of them is in need. They have made their way to see their friend Eov. And the text tells us that they saw him from afar and they couldn't recognize him. He was so beset with the plagues that had been thrust upon him by God. And so they tore their garments and they went and they sat with him on the ground in silence for seven days. After seven days, Eov speaks. And what he says is an expression of his torment and of his pain to the point where he says, I really genuinely wish I had not been born. I wish it had never occurred to my parents to have me. I wish I had been miscarried and never entered into this world. What do you do if you are Eov's friend in that situation? Here is a man from whom everything has been taken away and he's expressed himself to you and told you how miserable he is. What do you do? What does a friend do in that situation? I assume that for most people, the instinctual response is to say something like, yeah, man, this is awful. This is literally terrible. You are clearly being stricken with something that no one should be stricken with. Oy vey. Let us hold you and hold space for you and please know that we are here for you and we are ready to listen to you and we are ready to hold this with you to whatever extent that we can. That seems to me like a response that would be intuitive to most people. And yet, Eov's friend, Eliphaz, he speaks. He responds. And he says, honestly, Eov, it must be your fault. Because we know that God is perfect and God only acts through justice. So this must be your fault. Interestingly, as the reader of this text 
We have also read chapter one in which it has been made clear that God has allowed Satan to torment Eov to test his faith. So yes, we do know that this is from God, so to speak, but we also don't have any indication that this is because of something that Eov did. But Eliphaz rolls out his argument. Frankly, I'm not super impressed with his argument. It doesn't sway me, and it doesn't sway Eov, as Eov will respond later. But I want to commend Eliphaz for responding. I like that, however ineffectual it is, he responds to Eov's narrative about Eov's own life. He questions him. He pushes back. He challenges Eov's narrative about his own experience. And yes, his response is inaccurate and wrong for an abundance of reasons. But the fact that he responds is an indication of a kind of friendship that Eov and his friends have. Their friendship may be defined by the word chavruta, which is an Aramaic word, and the root of that word is the word chaver, which means friend. But the word chavruta, in the modern sense, means learning partners. You go to yeshiva, you are assigned a person with whom to learn, with whom to go over the text. And your job with your chavruta is not to simply affirm what they say. Your job is to push back as appropriate and as necessary against the things that your chavruta is claiming. And your chavruta is encouraged to do the same with you. You make your case. You assert that the text means this for this and that a reason. You offer a way to navigate the material that is cohesive and that makes sense to you. And if it doesn't make sense to your chavruta, their job is to push back at you and to tell you why not. And in so doing, we sharpen each other's understanding of the text. Now, granted, that approach and that configuration and that framework makes a ton of sense when you and I are in yeshiva together and we're trying to understand a passage in the Talmud or a Tosafot. But about each other's lives, I come to you and I tell you about my woes, I tell you about my challenges, I tell you about my difficulties, I tell you about something that happened at work or in my family or in my marriage or whatever. It is not entirely obvious to many of us that an acceptable response to that is to push back and to challenge the narrative and to wonder Are you sure? Well, when that person responded that way, you seem to think that they meant X. Are you sure they didn't mean Y? Or you decided to do Z. Are you sure there aren't other options aside from Z? Or I see you thinking in the following way about that situation. I'm not sure that that's the only or even the best way to think about that situation. How about this? Now, of course, this is a special kind of relationship and a special kind of friendship. 
it is certainly not the kind of friendship in which I simply expect you to affirm me and to give me comfort. This is a kind of friendship, a chavruta, in which I invite you to challenge me. And granted, like Eliphaz's response to Eov, your response might not be accurate. It might not be that good. And I, Gavriel, don't care. The important point is that you feel welcome enough. You feel differentiated from me enough to feel that you are not only allowed, but you're expected to push back on me if you hear me saying something that doesn't feel accurate or doesn't feel useful or healthy. Consider for a moment, just as we pause, to wonder how many of the relationships that you define as friendships include permission for them or for you to disagree and to push back. And what is it about the relationships in which there is permission to do so? What is it about those relationships that allows them to hold this kind of fire, this kind of pushback, this kind of energy? Relationships, friendships that include this kind of permission have different rules than other kinds of friendship. And there are different standards by which this friendship is judged. We might judge it by the standard of helpfulness, effectuality. Did this help me look at it, look at the situation from a different angle? Did it help me dislodge any assumptions or prejudices that I might be holding on to? With this kind of friendship, or at least with this mode of friendship, we might have relationships that include several different modalities of friendship. But with this modality of friendship, I might be using the standard of, did it sharpen me? I might be thinking about the passage in the Talmud, in Ta'anit 7a, where Rabbi Chama said, in the name of Rabbi Hanina, wondering about the verse in Proverbs, in Mishlei, as it says, Barzo b'barzo yachad. Iron on iron. Is interpreted to mean, Ma barzel zeh echad mechadedet chavero. Just as with iron, one piece sharpens another piece, so too, two scholars sharpen each other in learning halacha. And with this kind of friendship in mind, we might revisit the story of Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. Remember that Rabbi Yochanan, a beautiful man, was bathing in the river when he was seen by Reish Lakish who was a bandit. Rish Lakish mistaking Rabbi Yochanan for a woman because all he saw was his beautiful hair above the water from behind swung down to make Rabbi Yochanan's acquaintance. Realized Rabbi Yochanan was a man. Said to Rabbi Yochanan, your beauty for a man. To which Rabbi Yochanan responded, your strength for Torah. Come, 
Come learn, and you can marry my sister. She's even more beautiful than I am. And so he did, and Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish became a very dynamic learning pair, a very potent chavruta. And they argued fiercely about many topics and many things. One day, they were discussing a question about when particular objects become susceptible to tuma, a sort of spiritual unavailability. And generally speaking, a thing becomes susceptible to tuma when it reaches its final state. And they were arguing about swords and knives and wondering when they reach their final state. And Rabbi Yochanan said, obviously, they reach their final state with the last hammer blow from the blacksmith. Rish Lakish said, no, it's after you temper it in the water. Rabbi Yochanan says, well, a thief knows his trade. And the reader says, wait a minute, hold on, that's not a nice thing to say. You guys are friends, right? Brothers-in-law even. Apparently not. Apparently their friendship includes the possibility of being pretty sharp with one another. So Rachel Lakish says, well, what have you done for me? I was a king before, meaning back when I was a bandit, and I'm a king now in the Torah. Rish Lakish is upset. Rabbi Yochanan is upset. And it becomes clear that because Rabbi Yochanan is upset, that Rish Lakish is going to die. And that's what happens. In the end, he dies. And the other scholars say, we must now find a new partner with whom Rabbi Yochanan can learn. And they chose for him Rabbi Elazar ben Pidat. And they would learn together. And Rabbi Yochanan would make a point. And Rabbi Elazar ben Pidat would say, you're so right, absolutely. And here's this proof that proves that you're right. And here's this other proof that proves that you're right. And Rabbi Yochanan says to him, I know that I'm right. And one argument, one pushback from Reish Lakish is worth 24 of your yeses. I don't need to hear that I'm right. I need to hear that I'm wrong. I need to get sharper. I need someone to push back against me. Now he doesn't have that person anymore, and they would find him wandering around saying, oi, Reish Lakish, oi, Reish Lakish, oi. And finally, the rabbis prayed for him that he would die as he started to lose his mind. Frankly, it's a hard story. Didn't they go too far? Wasn't that just too much? Of course, every friendship has to decide how far is too far. It seems that until the end, for Rabbi Yochanan and for Rish Lakish, that was the right amount. They sharpened each other. They were two very capable, very intelligent people who required each of them a capable and intelligent person who's equally capable and equally intelligent to push back at them and to sharpen them and to push them further and further. And so it was back in that story of Eov. Eov had his opening. He stated his case. He said his piece. And Eliphaz pushed back. And he was wrong. And that's fine. His pushback was welcome anyway. Eov wasn't offended by this. And even if he was, it still operated somehow within the framework of the relationship that they had built. And I believe having 
at least one relationship like this in our lives is essential. As countercultural as it feels, it is essential to keep us from going soft, to keep us from ceasing to grow, to keep us moving. And yes, we are playing with fire. And that's part of what makes it so amazing. <laughs>